Welcome to On This Walk, a show about the winding journey of life in all its realness. I'm Luke Iorio. Please join me and my brilliant heart-centered guests each week as we look to navigate this journey more consciously and authentically, uncovering how to tap back into that sense of connection with self, with soul, and with something bigger than ourselves. Now let's go On This Walk. Hello, and welcome once again to On This Walk. I got to tell you, I am very, very excited for today's conversation. Simply put, the way that I want to frame this is that we need to turn, face, and feel our traumas. And very specifically, men, I'm talking to you guys today. You see, yes, this is for all of us because we need to bring the imbalanced, unhealthy, masculine energy back into balance. So maybe let me start with this. When we avoid our hurts, our pains, our traumas, we avoid feeling them. And we do this because we want to avoid the consequences of trying to really feel deeply where they are going in our lives. We tend to sweep them under the rug because we don't want to turn and recognize just how much hurt and pain and trauma we might be walking around with. And then that pain and that trauma, that hurt that we have inside begins to manifest in all aspects of our lives. It may show up in broken or strained relationships. We may step out on partners, whether that be physically and sexually or emotionally and mentally. We may be aggressive or completely passive. We may be complete pleasers or we might be resistors and constantly defensive in our lives. We may do well in terms of trying to protect and provide for our spouses and for our partners and for our families, but we're not being present. We're not being available. We're not being accessible, vulnerable, and truly intimate. All of that gets shut down, and that's what our partners, our children, our friends, and all those that we lead really truly need from us. Our pains may have us turn to all forms of distraction and avoidance strategies, whether that be with substance or numbing or all forms of media from binging entertainment to social media or news or whatever it is. We pour ourselves into overworking. We pour ourselves into overplaying. We never sit still unless we're numbing out because we don't want to contend with those ruthlessly uncomfortable emotions and thoughts. Meanwhile, our lives begin passing us by without ever stepping in to the masculine grace that we are meant to carry. Let me throw a few stats at you because this is why this is becoming so important, has been important for quite some time. Men are three and a half times more likely to die by suicide. One in five men are going to experience anxiety, if not significant anxiety, in their adult lives. However, more than 40% of men will not even discuss their mental health, meaning that number of one in five that's experiencing anxiety is probably significantly higher. One in six men have suffered sexual abuse. In the past 10 years, persistent sadness and hopelessness leading to a range of other issues has increased by more than 40% among all adolescents. Even in business, 89% of HR leaders now say that mental health is a major priority for them even in the workplace. You get the picture of the severity of this. I'm not going to keep going on the stats. So let's get into where we're going with this conversation because there's some questions that we want to get into. What do we need to do as men to face our traumas and hurts so that they stop spilling over into our families, into future generations and society? From that place of courage and openness, How can we step forward into any of our roles as male leaders, meaning as fathers, uncles, friends, brothers, let alone whatever our professional or vocational calling might be? What can that balanced, healthy masculine look and sound like? What's the difference that it can make? This is what we're getting into today with two guests that I have 
deep respect for and am honored to have them on this walk with me. I just want to mention, we're going to be revisiting this topic quite a few times regularly. It's going to come back for talking about this with the men, but we're also going to bring women into this. We're going to talk about it as parents. We're going to talk about it as leaders because we're also going to talk about it as humans. So stay tuned because this is going to be an unfolding conversation we keep coming back to because we need to and can do better for ourselves as well as for the generations to come. And so to get to our conversation, to get to my walking partners for today, I am joined by Tom Kress, who I am very pleased to introduce you to for the first time, as well as Reggie Walker, who you have previously met here on this walk. So let me first introduce you to Tom Kress. Faced with many difficulties and challenges while growing up, created a life of dysfunction, always feeling less than, not good enough, and a tremendous amount of self-judgment. For years, Tom was just going through the motions. He was mostly disengaged from life, working in jobs that were unfulfilling in so many ways. Finally, he became completely fed up. He said enough with not realizing his dreams and feeling unaccomplished. He always had the feeling that he could do more, that he could be more. So 14 years ago, he began this journey by becoming a certified life coach. And seven years ago, he began a public speaking career. And since then, his dreams have flourished because he has changed his focus. He focused on what he can do as opposed to what he cannot. The major message of his mission through coaching and speaking is guiding folks to live their powerful life. And as a survivor, he has spoken to over 400 schools and hundreds of thousands of students on sexual abuse, awareness, and prevention. And here's the thing that to me just almost flat out chokes me up every time I hear. Tom has now empowered over 180 of those students, 180 of those students to come forward about their abuse. That's living empowered. Now, let me introduce you to Reggie Walker, who you have met here before on this walk. Reggie grew up a military brat. He's been part of the minority. He's been part of the majority population. He's been poor. He's had money. He's had abundance. He suffered sexual abuse when he was young and then physical, mental, and emotional abuse throughout years as being an athlete, a career that took him all the way through high school into college, all the way to the NFL. He funneled the effects of his trauma into sports, which ultimately did prove to be a saving grace for him. But then it was in his retirement that his journey of healing led him to so many great heights, but it started with two stays at a treatment facility. And it was in that treatment facility that allowed him to create the Personal Mastery School. It was a program built to help anyone find answers on how to find themselves, their purpose, and a plan. Reggie has gone on to become a mental, physical, and sexual abuse survivor advocate. He's a TEDx speaker, a public speaker, consultant, connector, problem solver for individuals and businesses. And frankly, he's just a beautiful human being. And so for everybody, I thank you for joining us on this walk. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. If you're new to the show, do me a favor, please hit subscribe so you can follow all future episodes. If you're an ongoing subscriber, if you're an ongoing listener, when you hear something that makes sense to you or touches you, please do a favor and share out your thoughts, your insights, share out these episodes because that's how we grow this show. And so with that introduction, Let's go on this walk with Tom and Reggie and turning towards our hurts, our pain, and our mental health as men. Tom and Reggie, I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to thank you for joining us in this conversation. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to where it is that we get to go today. As well. Thanks for having me again, Luke. Absolutely, Reggie. Tom, actually, I want, to, I want to start with you on this one because prior to beginning this you know, incredible work of transformation that you are now doing as a speaker and as a coach, I would love for you to speak about where you were in life before that change. 
So maybe going back, you know, 10, 12, 14 years ago, as you were beginning that change journey, because I want people to get a sense of kind of what was life like before you really turned and faced things in a brand new way and opened that door to this new path for yourself. Well, first of all, Luke and Reggie, it is awesome to be with you guys today. I am really, really excited to be able to share on this very, very important topic because it means a lot to me to be able to share my thoughts that coincide with other people's thoughts like Luke's and and Reggie. So yeah, 14 years ago, it was a rather successful corporate job I had. I was good at what I did, but boy, was I definitely not fulfilled in what I was doing. And the word legacy came up for me, right? It was important for me. What was the legacy I was leaving? And I couldn't think of what, you know, 14 years ago. So I just went online and I started looking up. I didn't want to go back to school. I had this limiting belief about school because I did so horribly back when I was in high school. So so I decided to look up coaching schools, right? Because I heard about life coaches and the differences they can make. And I always felt like I could help people. That's what I wanted to do. So I looked up IPEC and I found IPEC and, and became a certified life coach. And it was interesting how, yeah, I, I went in there to help other people, but I found out how much help I needed. And then that's where the next five to six years were very, very important for me personally. Before I can go on and do anything professionally, I had to take care of me. And it's kind of like, you know, clean your own backyard before you clean anyone else's backyard, right? So that's kind of the mindset I took is that I, I tackled me because I never, ever did that in all my times of being abused, 10 years of sexual abuse, 21 years, never, ever telling anyone about it. And now I have this opportunity to finally work on it. And this is where the magic came where I had to be vulnerable and look at me in whole as a whole. So it was at that point, five years into my coaching career, my life coaching career, I wasn't successful as a life coach, but I was still working on me. I was going to therapy. I had my own life coach. And so things were starting to work for me, but I was realizing all along the way, that I really, really had to be honest with myself. I had to really make an extra effort to be honest with who I was, right? And then that's what made the difference was, oh, having a conversation with the seven-year-old Tom when he was first sexually abused, this was a really, actually, Luke and I, I think we had a conversation back in New Jersey about this. Hey, have a, have a conversation with your... Yeah seven-year-old self, find the love that that little boy was looking for because he didn't find it in his family. He didn't find it because he never searched for it, yeah. right? He never searched for true love, but I was getting external love, but it, was, it there was something different about that. And the difference was, is that I wasn't loving me. I mean, yeah. everybody else could love me as much as they possibly could, but it would not make a difference until I loved myself. And then that's where I finally read a book. And I'm not a book reader by any stretch. I've read this book seven times or listened to it. It's called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock. And it was the biggest thing, right? I had all that prior teaching from IPEC and my coach and all the people in my life. But this book made the big difference for me to find 
me, love me, accept everything that's happened to me and everything that, well, everything that I did. I had to come to a full acceptance of it. And when that happened, all that stuff you were think you were speaking of on the, on the opening of this, Luke, I was living all those things, all of them. And now they're very, they're there. I mean, we're living a human life, right? But they're there ever so shortly now. The judgment, the all the different ways we we tear ourselves down, it still happens. But I'm able to stop it. I'm able to stop it dead in its tracks when it starts to happen, and that's the magic of understanding who I was and loving who I was. And this made all the difference. And like I said to Reggie and Luke, right before we got on, I'm living my best life now. And it's amazing, but it doesn't happen without those really difficult and challenging moments. There's many things that I want to, I want to return to. I want to call two things out and then Reggie ask you to, to just jump in here. The first two things that I, I wanted to call out is that very often like a lot of those things that I was talking about as, as I was introduced in the show of what happens in our relationships, what's happening inside of us, all of the struggles that we're going through, is that until we get onto some form of path that encourages that level of self-awareness and self-honesty, we're experiencing kind of that core of pain, which is that we're blind to our own suffering. We're blind to what's creating our suffering. And we're living in the nightmare of that suffering without any awareness of, of where else we can go. And if we are lucky enough to even get a glimpse outside of it, we feel like we can't manage the pain that we're in. And so we want to keep going back to the distractions and the avoidance strategies and all those types of things because we don't know where we can go. And it just kind of perpetuates that type of pain. But when we can find ourselves into some form of path, program, teacher, coach, reflection, whatever it's going to be, that begins to just crack that door open and invite us to get really honest with ourselves so that we can start to separate from the story of what's unfolding. Now there's just that little bit of space, the beginning of space for us to start to work in a different way. Reg, let me just kind of toss it to you in terms of you know anything you want to add in terms of what came up for you about Tom's story or anything that even evoked in, in your own that you would like to introduce here. I thought it was phenomenal. First of all, I do got to say, like, thank you for sharing your story, Tom. I felt so many synergies between your story and mine. And then the realizations that you get when you do sit in your own pain and you do realize because it was the same thing for me. I couldn't, it didn't matter how much external love I was getting from somebody. If I couldn't love myself, I couldn't give that love to anybody else. That reminded me exactly why I went to the treatment center to at the first time to begin with. I didn't have anything to give because there was nothing to give. I had to build that. I had to find that. The question I did have for Tom was when you really started digging into yourself and really started going towards, you know, that monster, the monster that we're all constantly running away from, when you finally stopped and turned around and faced it, what were the feelings that you had at first? And how did you fight that monster that we all need to fight? How did you do that? Reggie, I, I love that question because the interesting part of this is when I got to that point where in the IPEC training, it was called the gremlin, right? <laughs> and when I realized that the gremlin was there at one time to help me, and then as I grew older and I grew the capabilities to help myself, I no longer needed that gremlin, but that gremlin was always there holding me back. And then when I got to the point where I had to talk directly to me and who I was, I realized that I was not 
a monster. So the feeling, as you ask, the feeling was compassion. There was so much compassion that came over me that why am I being so hard on this guy? Why am I? Because he's a beautiful human being. He's awesome. And I'm being hard. I'm being the heart. Of course, like any of us, we're harder on ourselves than we are anyone else. And I was so hard on myself that when I got the opportunity to love who I was, having that compassion was so beautiful. I mean, it was a big, big hug I gave myself, and I still do to this day. When I'm, there are times when they're challenging, I realize I'm not that person I'm thinking I am right now. So it was compassion that overwhelmed everything when I allowed that to happen. That's such a beautiful thing, especially with the fact that even in my own journey, I've had to learn how to give myself that compassion. And especially in those times, because it's not like anyone, all all three of us would agree that it's not like, oh, we've made it. We're great. Everything is there. Like we're perfect human beings in in every single right. We don't have our slips. We don't have our falls. Like, no, we're humans. Like we have our slips and falls too. But the fact is when those times come, having these mechanisms in place to make sure that you stay on the path that you choose for yourself. And that was having compassion for myself is something that I've had to learn a lot of ways. I feel that similarity because when I turned around and faced the monster, I realized that it was, it did serve a role. It did serve a role. And I was so afraid of facing that monster because I was so afraid to see myself, to see that true health, that true self, that the pain I was running from, the vulnerability that I, how vulnerable I really was, how loving and compassionate I actually was instead of this big, bold, cold, emotionless guy who never let anything affect him. Like, no, I feel for people. I love people. I'm compassionate towards people. I I love myself. I love other people. I want to help people. Once you really give that that side of you, that hug that you're talking about and really accept it. At first, you when you face it, I feel that you have to go through a level of just bravery, like pure bravery. You're completely afraid. You're completely out of your mind scared, but you do it anyway. And so that's the only time, in my mind, that's the only time you can really truly be brave is if you're really truly afraid and you have to do that. But then once you turn around and you start really spending time with this person, you really start understanding the beauty in this person, the service this person has provided, the skills and the mindset and the great things about this person. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's just a big truth that you need to understand as a human, as a man, as a woman, as whatever. It's something that you really need to understand. So I'm glad that you've actually gone down that path Let's chat about having compassion for yourself for a moment. At times, it seems like it's easier to have compassion for others than even for ourselves. Frankly, at times, it's just plain challenging to have compassion at all, especially when we feel like life is getting the better of us over and over again. And yet personally, I can speak to how compassion has been a major gateway to opening me up to so much growth as well as self-realization. It allowed me to deepen my relationships and start to have the level of intimacy that I wish to have across all of my relationships. And by that, what I mean is just that openness, vulnerability, honesty, a deep connection. 
connection that was not just surface level or what some could even call junk connection, kind of like junk food. There's just nothing nourishing in it. I wanted connections that were much deeper than this. And so let me borrow and add a little bit of my own perspective to what Dr. Kristen Neff, one of the foremost researchers and speakers on this topic of self-compassion has shared. Neff specifically talks about three components of self-compassion. So let me go into these and add a bit as we do. First is that we have to actually be aware of our own suffering. And that may even sound a bit funny, perhaps even obvious. However, let's pause here for a second. Why wouldn't someone be aware of their own suffering? Well, I actually would say that this is one of the greatest issues facing most people because we have become almost hardwired to avoid our pain and discomfort. Suffering may seem like a strong word, but it covers the whole spectrum of hurts and pain and discomfort that we walk around with on an everyday basis. And we have become focused as a society on distracting ourselves or moving on quickly from pain within our lives. We've been taught and advertised to that we don't need to feel pain. And yet what's really occurring is that the pain and suffering each of us experiences is really just swept under the rug or swept aside. We seem afraid to allow ourselves to fully feel what's there, perhaps afraid that we won't get out, that we'll get lost in it, or that it'll never end. And yet the avoid of the pain and suffering is the very thing that prolongs it. It also is what boils over as stress, anger, judgment, and all other various forms of challenges that we end up taking out on ourselves or on others. Now, the second component, compassion includes being moved by another suffering so that our hearts respond to their pain. Compassion in its roots literally means to suffer with. This requires opening our hearts to see the pain that others are experiencing, as well as beginning to feel our own pain. And this is actually where compassion opened up, as well as ultimately transformed into self-compassion for me. This also, this next thing I'm going to share with you is also what added to my awareness of the suffering that was actually taking place within me so that I could be more present to it and allow myself to feel it. So as part of one of the trainings that I took many years ago, I was in a compassion-based mindfulness program for over four months. And one of the practices of many, there were many practices that benefited me, but the one that I really go back to and recognize as having a major transformative effect on me was called equal empathy. And this helped me feel that empathy and that compassion for various types of people. It's a meditation and a practice that has you imagining and visualizing those that are challenging to you, those that you love as well even those that you barely know that are sort of like acquaintances or people that you bump into. And through a process, what you do is you get to see and feel the common threads of both hurt as well as the desires for happiness that each group experiences. Ultimately, I was even able to include myself in this process so that I could see all of these hurts, these pains that are discomforts were things that we all shared. And you in turn then have equal empathy for those that are challenging to you, maybe even those that bring you anger, those that you love, those that you barely know, as well as then for yourself as well. And so as I went through this, even the loving kindness meditations, which was kind of like a gateway into this process, took on a whole new feel and depth. For all of this, I was no longer afraid to experience this pain, nor did I feel the need to avoid that pain in others. I was able to begin holding space for the hurts and suffering that was within myself as well as for others in a way that was more grounded, peaceful, and even loving than 
more loving than ever before. So why had this been difficult for me? Why might this be difficult for you or for others? You know, for most, it's difficult to extend this awareness as well as compassion to ourselves. Well, if I go to the root of the energy, what I would find was that parts of me didn't feel deserving of compassion. Others deserved it, but not me. And if there was someone that I didn't have compassion for, that judgment of not deserving was sure to be found. It's that judgment that sits there. And each of us face different core wounds of not being deserving, not feeling lovable, not feeling good enough, and so on. When these wounds aren't faced and even loved back into the wholeness of who we are, then our ability to have compassion for others, but especially for ourselves, is stunted. I needed to work on those internal feelings of inadequacy, of being undeserving or not good enough. And as I did through many different practices, I was able to open up that much more deeply. Now, this last component that Dr. Kristen Neff talks about, and well, so does the Buddha and just about every other Eastern wisdom tradition, is that suffering is part of our human experience, meaning it's normal. We haven't done anything wrong. We're not broken. We're not bad. Suffering stems from what we experience in this life when our expectations, our hopes, even our safety are not as we wish them to be. Suffering is just the recognition that life is not what we want it to be. But we tend to personalize and internalize this as either we're at fault or someone's at fault or that life is harsh and cruel. Well, none of these are really true. Life is flow. Life is a constant unfolding process and energy. Our minds, in an attempt to keep perceived order, to keep perceived certainty or perceived control in any form, will take an experience and interject thoughts into it to make meaning. Those thoughts become stories, beliefs, future perceptions, and basically, It makes something that was passing or impermanent and just energy within a moment, and it makes it feel solid. The mind projects such solidity or certainty that this event is exactly what it is and it will always be, and that's what we must walk around with that meaning and imprint for all of time. (laughs) But that isn't so. In self-compassion, knowing that suffering is just part of the experience, but it's just one experience of innumerable experiences that we can and will have. So self-compassion allows us to breathe, to have care and love for what we're experiencing at that moment, to gain back a little space and to feel what we need to feel and then lay it down and move forward, to know that we are still a wonderful soul that deserves this care, this love, and yes, this compassion. So if you do me the favor and DM me, direct message me through any of my socials, Instagram, Facebook, wherever, or if you message me through my website at onthiswalk.com. I'll send you a copy of an equal empathy meditation that I've offered to my clients for years, and it's going to help you begin to unlock more and more of that self-compassion for yourself. Feel free to drop me any questions too. And now let's rejoin Reggie and Tom, and let's keep walking with this. I'm also curious too, when it comes to the book, Radical Acceptance, because I've read that book as well. And that's something that I, when I try to help people, that's something I always try to repeat to them is, you know, taking that step to radical acceptance. What would you say was the first time you actually fully started embodying this in your own life when it came to the things that you actually were doing, the, the walking through your walking in your own life? Wow. What a question. What a question. The time that it really, really finally sunk in. So I deliver a sexual abuse and awareness program, and I've written my own program. 
I did the first two years of someone else's program. And for the last five years, I've had my own program. And it was in that first year, I wrote the program and now I'm delivering the program. And then I'm getting these students coming forward. And now, and forgive me, I'm going to get choked up, but I don't care. It was in that moment that I knew that what I was meant to do is happening, right? It's actually happening. I am helping someone reach a place where, where they can realize they can use their voice and they can, they can get out of the situation they're in when I felt I didn't have that for myself, right? And now I know I do, and now I get to pay it forward. And when I was realizing this, I said, this is what it looks like to live your goals and dreams. It's amazing. It's still not easy, but it's amazing. So it is when I finally got to see others live the realization of loving yourself right in that moment as they're listening to my program. It's pretty awesome. It's really awesome. Lisa, I want to I want to add on to that because from both what both of you have shared is that there's a point in time, and I know from my own experience of things that I went through, where it feels like there are parts of you that are unlovable. <laughs> parts of you that are living within that shame or guilt of whatever the experience has been. And so when you bring up radical acceptance. Radical acceptance means accepting all parts of you, all, all, loving them all and looking and recognizing that every single part that we have within us has a higher intention. It may not be playing out in your highest life, but it has a highest intention. And a lot of those things that we struggle with, including in shame and in guilt are aspects of us that were either trying to protect us, that were trying to, that they needed to hold back, that they needed to shrink. And unfortunately, in the way that we then are conditioned and grow up and everything else, we believe we then need to hide those things back away as opposed to owning them and saying, no, 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 you did the absolute best that you could at that point in my life. And you kept me safe to whatever degree that you could. And mm-hmm. you did everything you knew how to do at that point in time. And I love you for that. It's time for us to incorporate you back into the whole because that's where we then fall into the trap that we allow just one or two parts of us to govern our lives. And we allow the part of us that's the critic, the gremlin, the part of us that is completely fear-based, the part of us that's still living in shame. If we allow that part to be the biggest part, now we're not being truly who we are. We need to love all those parts and then recognize we're still the wholeness of all of it. We're the one in the middle. That, that gets to, to put all these pieces back together again. Because actually, Reggie, I had the same question for you around radical acceptance of when you were beginning to live it. Because for me, it was when I stepped into loving all of those parts. That's when all of a sudden it, it not only allowed me to accept that much more of me, but it allowed me to relate to other people in a completely different way because I could love all of their parts too. It wasn't until someone sat me down and got me to understand the two parts of me that I was displaying to the world. There was Reggie, happy-go-lucky, fun guy, you know, love, compassionate, all of that. And then there was a person that we called like the protector, yep. the one that can't trust anybody. You gotta 
keep a side eye on everyone. You can't let too many people know what's going on inside of you. You got to try to manipulate situations because no one cares about you. No one gives a crap about you. You got to always protect you about anyone. You're always alone. Make sure that you protect yourself always, 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 always. And when I actually started to understand why this person was there and accepting this person into myself and understanding that the role that this person was playing was for the betterment of me, for the best way that I could. Because when you talk about going back into your trauma and sitting down and you talked about sitting down in your seven-year-old self, mine was my four-year-old self because mm-hmm. that's when it started with me. And when I was four, I, you know, that love and that love and acceptance and all these great things that you want, I didn't necessarily get them. And it wasn't because it wasn't there. It's because I couldn't take it in. I just couldn't accept it. Mm -hmm. And that was a big thing that I had to learn about my protector is the protector was protecting me away from happiness. And I had to let it, I had to let it really chill itself out. It is a constant thing with me. Some days it wins, some days it doesn't. It helps me understand other people in the different roles that they have within themselves. And and taking these people without all the judgment, without all the anger and the rage and and looking past all that to really understand at this core, there's a beauty in all. But you can't get that until you really spend time with yourself so you can understand you know, how to understand other people. You have to sit with yourself so you can understand other people. Here's what I feel the challenge is, right? The challenge is, is that I know I'm the oldest one in this group here. So we go back to the 60s and 70s, and there was very, very few men speaking like this, right? Mm -hmm. So that makes all of our role models, all of the people, men in our lives, especially, that don't talk like this, that don't have these types of conversations, right? My dad was kind of forced into it by my mom, right? My mom got real, real big kick on Leo Bascalia, right? Mm. What an awesome guy that guy was. And so my she forced my dad into, into certain couples therapies and things like that. So my dad mm. got into a scenario where they were teaching these things, but in the common realm of life, there's no teaching like this. There's very few, or there wasn't. There is more now, right? With my daughter being a social worker, right? There's social work in schools. There's therapy is no longer having the astigmatism it once did. Yeah. So there are lots of improvements for sure. But but when we were young, yeah. we didn't have those examples, which is really, really cool for you, Luke, for you, Reggie, that we get to show these to our children, that we get to have these conversations with our children, which is conversations most of us men never got. When I think of it in in even the, the good fortune I had with some of the stuff that my father exposed me to in personal development early on, at the end of the day, 99.99999% of that personal improvement, personal development stuff was about achieving goals, achieving right. success, mind over matter. It was all performance-based in the vast majority of what it was. And then there, yeah, there were some subtle undertones about being authentic to who you are. That was never like the focus of what was there. Forget a conversation around like emotional well-being and that side, like social emotional intelligence, forget it, come on. And so to be able to to begin to sink into those conversations now and into those wisdoms is critically important. And I guess, you know, that's, that's part of the, 
because you know, I'll, I'll use this, this perfect timing. I was mentioning this to you guys before we got on the call that I'm, I were recording this conversation and I just came out of a mentor treat and to be able to listen to all of these stories of men who were never given the example that you're talking about, exactly the situation you're talking about, Tom, where they've gone through whatever they've gone through, whether it actually be abuse and trauma or just other circumstances where they just were not exposed to the wholeness of who it is that they are and or could be. And so they're walking through life with kind of blinders on to the rest of who they are. They only know this like definition of what it means. We were talking about this as well, that this definition of what it means to be a man in life right now. Right. And so we've got these misconstrued conceptions of when you mentioned protector, Reggie, of, you know, we're supposed to protect. That means we're going to defend. We're going to keep walls up around this area. We're not going to let them see us sweat. We're going to be this really tough guy. And it only shows us how to do that. And when we buy into that stereotype, we buy into that one vision of what's out there, we never attend to the rest of who it is that we are. And we're walking around with these traumas, these hurts, these bottled up emotions over and over and over again. And that can't not spill out. It's going to end up hurt people, hurt people. You, how many times have I said that on this show? And that's what we've got to start turning towards. And thankfully, Tom, what you're bringing up is there is this recognition of turning towards our mental health, but including the social emotional aspects of who that is as well as part of my journey was how I had healed a lot of things and went on to do some great things. And I never attended to my spiritual healing. And so there's all different forms, all different aspects and dimensions of healing that we need to bring in because we need to do it to rebalance ourselves as masculine so that we can hold space and hold space the way that we were meant to for the the sacred feminine that walks this earth. It's like you have to redefine your definition of masculinity to yourself in a lot of ways. Because just like you said, with struggling with, you know, substance abuse, with all the abuses that I've gone through and then the wild behaviors that I would, it's going to come out some way. And the thing that I had to understand that really got me to get the help that I needed was I'm tired of this coming out in ways that I cannot control. It just comes out. And when I really started to tend to those other areas, not just being a big, strong, tough guy who can fight anybody and take on any challenge and anything physical, when it came to my mental side of things, what, how's that going on? When it comes to my emotional stability, how's that going on? When it comes to my spiritual stability, where am I at with that? When I started tending to that, that's when I started the balancing act started right. coming into play. You know, I talk a lot to people about equilibrium, getting to that, that middle ground of things. And I always talk about, you know, like the yin and yang. That's how I, I feel like the lens of looking at through life. And in the brightest of brights, there's, a, there's that little piece of dark. And in the mm-hmm. darkest of darks, there's a little bit of light. Because just like you guys have understood, and a lot of people have gone through pain and tried to heal themselves, you learn some of the biggest truths of yourself and in life in the darkest of times. And those times, you just have to go through and get that lesson. And it's unavoidable at times, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to go through because once you get that lesson, you can change your entire life. The piece that Reggie, you're bringing up, which I I think is so incredible. When we look at what we've experienced in life and that we recognize that even in those dark times, those really challenging times, 
we are also being presented with the opportunity to create healing around that, that thing, that experience, that issue, whatever it is. And when we're able to bring that healing in, the effect that that has not only on us, but the effect that that has on the possibility of healing for others is immense. And I know, I mean, that's, that's tied to work that both of you are doing in your own rights, right? In terms of what this has opened up and the space that you guys can hold for others, which allows them to be able to face and turn towards that which they have been running from or avoiding in whichever manner. And so there's a responsibility that we do have to try to find a way to turn towards that healing as best as we can. First for ourselves, because it's got to be, we've got to be at the center of that first, but then what it unlocks and, and the imprint that it puts out into the field is immense. We need a lot of it. Look around right now. We need a lot of healing. I know that each of us, Luke and Reggie, you each have people who are going to view this and listen to this podcast. And they're going to have a difficult time understanding what we're saying, right? Because they haven't given themselves that opportunity to heal, to, and not even just heal, just an opportunity to look in. Because I know plenty of people who haven't been abused. I know plenty of people who haven't gone through major traumas, but they still are not looking within where we find ourselves and we love who we are, regardless of what we do or what we've done. The need here is to find the love for ourselves first, because if we love ourselves first, then we have so much more to give everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. So to all the men and not just men, Mm -hmm. all the people who listen to this and watch this podcast, please, if you feel like we're just talking bullshit, I get it, but I'd, I'd love for you to, to just give yourself a chance to look within, find a, a life coach or find someone who will help you look within and, you know, see where you're stuck. And then you get the good look at yourself. And this is the opportunity. It's not going to feel like an opportunity. It's going to be difficult, right? To deal with those difficult things that have happened in your life. But this is the time where you get to expand. So I've been trying to work on a quote because I believe we know that what we know can limit us in various ways, right? So it's what we don't know where the magic is. So go out and find it, right? Go out, look for that. That you don't know, there's something there for you, right? Go for it. Part of the energy you're also tapping into in terms of where anybody may be, and actually I've heard both of you speak to this, was that at some point we need to say enough. Hmm. Enough of what we're doing to ourselves, enough of what we're doing to others. and. It's funny, I was, I was just on another podcast talking about this, that part of the way that we get there, and I'm curious how this played out for both of you as, as you then found your enough to turn towards and turn in the way that you guys have, was that part of the reason why we don't get to the place of enough is we have so many ways of distracting ourselves and numbing out that we never allow enough of that tension to build. But if we will turn towards our emotional state and actually allow ourselves to feel what we feel like when, when you're alone, when the TV's not on, when the music's not blaring, when you haven't had the chance to put a drink in your hand or, or distract yourself on anything, there's energy, there's, there's discomfort it begins to surface because now all of a sudden you've got nothing to pull you away from what's going on inside of you. 
the more that we have the courage, Reggie, you spoke about bravery before, right? Bravery to in those moments, turn towards that discomfort that's rising inside of us. We need to feel that because that emotion gives us leverage for change. That emotion allows us to get to this point where we're willing to finally say enough. That allows us to now create new commitments. It allows us to begin to take this path. But part of the reason why we don't get to it, whether we've been through abuse and trauma and that type of experience, or whether we've just gone through our own pains and hurts in life and we find ourselves living in this like malaise of life and not really fully living, we've got to find a way to be able to turn towards that discomfort and use it as something beautiful that creates change. We need to tap into that. And so I'm curious for you guys of what, you know, what was that experience? How did you finally muster that bravery to get to the point of enough? And then once you hit enough, what were some of maybe like those first steps that you started to take that created the momentum for you to get into looking within and going on this type of journey? I had to really become curious to, could things actually be different? I had gotten everything that I wanted at this time. This is when I was done playing. I was sitting in my nice big ass house that I just bought and I finished the career, had exactly the career I wanted. I was in retirement. I did everything I wanted to do. I was completely content with my football career, but I was just so miserable because there were so many things that I regretted about my life and how it has been and my friends and the people around me and just how I was living my life. And then what I had created up to this point, it wasn't until I got genuinely curious to the possibilities that there could be a different way of going about things than I had been doing up to this point. I did everything one way. I willed my way through everything. Resilience, resilience, resilience. Strong, strong guy, strong guy, tough guy, tough guy. I toughed my way through everything. Hmm. Is there possibly a different way of going about this? And I really sat in that. And I sat into it. I sat into it until it really, in a way, kind of drove me crazy to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and do this incredibly scary ass thing that I couldn't and would not do for years upon years upon years. I'm going to go fight the monster for once. I'm going to go fight it because that's what I thought about it at first. I'm going to go fight this monster and defeat it and get it out of me and continue to live this thing and not have these negative thoughts. Reggie, which was more? Was it the curiosity or was it fear of staying where you were? Which one was it more? I would say it was a little both. I would say it was equally both. I was curious because I had done everything the same way. I'd always, I had done, you know, I played football my whole adult life. Everything was pretty much the same my whole adult life. I hadn't done anything different. I hadn't really tried a bunch of things like other people get to try in college. Like my whole schedule was football school, you know, have some beer sometimes. Like that was it. Like that's your whole life. So I really hadn't experienced a lot when it comes to just trying different things and really stretching myself in different areas of life and seeing what I could possibly be. I really leaned on being this athlete. I really leaned on it. It was the way that it got me out of everything. So I was curious to see what could I be without being an athlete. Then I was also going through that time with the effects of the abuse, major depression, massive anxiety, just thoughts coming into your head constantly. You're constantly fighting thoughts. 
you know, just everything that comes with the abuse. And I was curious to see, could I actually defeat this? Is this something that I could defeat? Is this something that I could just live my life without doing this? Because I would talk to my wife all the time. And one of the things that kind of started this was, I was like, what are you thinking about? And she was like, nothing. And I was just like, how? How are you just sitting there not thinking of anything? And she was <laughs> just like, I'm just not doing that. And I was just so curious as to the fact that this is how someone can live their life, like not thinking of anything. Like, how is that possible? How is that possible to just sit there and like when you're with your kids, you're literally just with your kids. When you're sitting in the house and you're watching a movie, you're just watching and you're focusing on a movie. That's it. Because I could never do that. So I became curious and curious to the point where it made me want to be brave and fight the monster, which I thought at first it was fighting, but it really turned out to not be a fight. It really became, like we said, like an acceptance. And luckily I had great people at that, the treatment center that were there. And I had, I had a lot of support from other people who were doing the same thing, you know, accepted their own monsters, you could say, or their own demons, as you could say. Curiosity is a powerful gift that we can cultivate. First, it's powerful because curiosity is filled with possibility and openness. As opposed to saying, I know what this is, or I know what I need to know already, and having a fixed or closed mindset. Instead, curiosity asks beautiful questions that include things like, what if, what could be, what might this lead to, what else is here? Frankly, it asks one of my favorite questions of what's possible. Curiosity is filled with wonderment. It almost begs to be awed or surprised or stunned into beautiful silence. Curiosity helps us to continue our exploring. It fills us with a childlike innocence. Note, I said childlike and not childish, as my own teacher, Carissa, would remind us at this time. Children have this wonderful inquisitiveness, as if, and perhaps maybe true, that everything is new to them. And it doesn't have to be just what it is. Curiosity is a great way to break that solidity that the mind wants to project, as I mentioned before earlier when I cut in to talk about self-compassion. Curiosity is willingness. It's a willingness to consider new angles, new perspectives, new information. Curiosity isn't threatened by what it finds. It doesn't mind if it finds something contradictory. In fact, that only spurs more curiosity to discover further. So this week, cultivate your curiosity. Whenever you can, ask these types of questions. What's possible here? What else might be true? What could this be leading me to? Perhaps, what's creating this? And what are all the possible contributors, not just the first ones I see? And another favorite question. What am I not seeing at this moment? Enjoy the exploring. What I love about you being here, Reggie, is you're definitely letting anyone who listens to this know that even when you reach the top tier of whatever it is that you do, if it doesn't really make a difference that you're there, what makes a difference is that you are feeling the person you were meant to be. And when you got stuck, like so many other people do, we get stuck in comfort. We get stuck in fear of stepping out. But sooner or later, it comes to a point, and you said it, 
And I've, I know I've said it that we reach that point where we're just fed up with being stuck. We're fed up with not, we know that there's more, but how do we get it? So we have to, we have to give up to go get it. How did you hit that point? Back to that, that first question of how did you hit that point of enough? Because I heard something in Reggie's that I want to bring back, but I want to see if it's true in, in what I hear from you. There were two times that it hit for me. And the first one was 14 years ago when I was in the corporate job and I, I knew I just, it wasn't my thing. And I was real comfortable making fine money. And, but the, the feeling of there's more that really, when you stop and think about it, I think that will lead you to a place where you start to investigate what it is you're truly meant to do, right? Because I knew by then at 48 years old or whatever it was, 46 years old, that I was not meant to be doing what I was doing, even though I was doing it well, right? I was not meant to do that. So then fast forward or go back seven years, seven years ago, I went and saw this person, his name is Victor, and he spoke on sexual abuse awareness and prevention. And I said, how many other people do you know are doing this? And he said, no, no, no one he knows. And I said, well, I'm going to do it too, because I know I have a story and I know our kids need this. You know, it was that feeling like, oh, this, this, I never really truly had that feeling like this is it, but it was, I have a place here, right? There, here's a place for me here. I have a story. I'm dynamic in how I speak. I think I can get it, get it done. And fast forward seven years later, and you know, I'm I know, and I I don't say this lightly. I know I'm saving lives, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. What both of you brought up, which is something I don't know if I've I've seen it this way before. And I'm now kind of thinking through my own path of this, and I, I know it to be true, and I'm just looking for the example of it. Both of you pointed towards images of possibility, <laughs> meaning that when the enough was building, but it only truly became enough when you had something else that you could look at and go, oh, this is, I've definitely had enough of this because that is a path that is of interest to me. And it could be something as simple as beginning with Reggie, what you said of, you know, turning to your wife, what, what do you mean you're sitting there with no thought? Like you could actually have that for even a second. Is that possible? And you, so I, that, and, and then obviously I know there was other, other bigger images of, of possibility that stoked the curiosity for you. And then Tom, the same thing of, you knew there was something more. And then as you began to knew, know there was something more to begin to see those images of possibility of where more was, was actually tangible to you. When I was speaking before about why it's so important for us to face whatever it is that we need to heal is because it creates that image of possibility for others as well. It creates something both in the field as well as tangibly that says, look, this is in fact possible. And whether you want to take an example in pages out of Reggie's book for the way that Reggie has done it, whether you want to take it out of Tom's book for the way that Tom has done it, the way that I've done it, doesn't matter which path you follow. It's where whatever begins to resonate for you that helps you do that. And I think that, you know, for me, I think of when, so kind of fast forwarding through a lot of different experiences that I had, I'm sitting there burnt out as the CEO of this extraordinary coaching company. 
And I'm faced with this reality of, well, where in the hell am I supposed to go from here? Like, isn't this it? This is supposed to be it for the next 20 years. I already did the thing. I'm supposed to ride this thing, right? And getting to that point of, oh my God, what do I do now? Where do I go? And when I didn't have that image of possibility, I was holding on. Mm. I kept holding on because it was like, well, I'm fearful that if I let this go, I'm going to have nothing. And then I began to get these glimpses of individuals that were living in such a deeply, soulfully aligned way that it just gave me that little bit of a window of, huh, I could try a little of that. I'm curious. Let me try a little of that. And so I started moving in that type of direction until it created a, a much bigger path and an impact for me. For me, it was, it was legacy. That was mm-hmm. a big part of me moving into the coaching realm. And I'm positive that Reggie wasn't thinking that his legacy or he wanted his legacy to be what he did on the field. I'm curious, was legacy part of your thought process there? It's a good question. I could relate it to legacy is my guess, but I would say where it began for me in more, just a more personal, intimate way. I knew that through being that burnt out, that frustrated, aggravated, irritable, all the wonderful symptoms of burnout, I was not showing up for my kids the way that I wanted to show up. And specifically, I wasn't showing up for my son the way that I wanted to show up. Mm. Like I could be more caring and compassionate and hold space for my daughter and for my wife because that, that just felt like a natural dynamic. And it was tougher with my son. And I could just feel it. I can feel it in my body now. Of no, I'm no, this is not how it's going to be. And that combined with thinking about, I don't want to live my life in a manner that feels constrained, constricted in some manner. I don't want to live my life not having taken the chance for something else simply because the materiality of what I was doing was really, really good. It was a sweet spot. And I didn't want to live that way because I don't want my children making those choices. I want them following the truth of who they are, the heart of who they are, whatever the hell that looks like, means, or otherwise. And if that's what I want for them, then I got I to gotta friggin' do it for myself. Um, I pose a scenario to countless individuals, friends, colleagues, clients. Uh, and it, I'll tell you, it works really effectively when you have either young kids or grandkids is to imagine you are sitting down with your kid 15, 20 years and they're entering their adult life Mm. and picture yourself sitting down at dinner or around the fireplace or something with them. And they're about to go live their life the way that you have just lived yours for the last 15, 20 years. What's the conversation? What's the story you want to have been illustrating to them and sharing with them so that that's the way they get to go live? And think about that moment, right? That's what it, it was. The combination of all of those things for me was like, I've got to figure this out. And yeah, I've got to figure it out for me first. As much as my kids were a huge motivating factor for it, at the end of the day, I needed to tap into the fact that, no, I want this and I'm committed to it. That's powerful. That's powerful on so many levels. You know, with Tom, yours was legacy. And Luke, you know, you wanted to show up for your kids, especially your son. You know, I wanted peace. Yeah. I wanted to, and even it even goes into what I want to show my kids, even with how you deal with pain and how and the understanding mm-hmm. of pain and, and, and its inevitability in life. Stuff's going to hurt sometimes. 
How did you envision that piece to be? I mean, what was the motivating factor of peace? What did it look like to you? What did peace look like to me? Yeah. Peace looked like me being outside in the world, unapologetically myself all the time, no matter what. Wow. Whatever that was. And showing people that love and always choosing that love instead of the anger, instead of the mm-hmm. rage, instead of the hate, instead of the silence or mm-hmm. anything else, choosing that one thing all the time. Because if I had to answer that question, what if you know my kids are about to go through the same thing I went through and they're about to step out in their life, I would tell them that life is peace. Always find it in everything. Mm-hmm. It would always be that. Instead of how I went about it, I found things to be afraid of and build in it, things to put another suit of armor on or another piece. I got my gauntlet on. I got my gloves on now. I got my shit, my shield piece on. I got my helmet on. This is the reason why I need to have a sword. I probably should have three swords now. Like, no, keep the armor off, mm-hmm. you know, and find the piece in every single moment. Because if I, I really could have done myself a real big disservice, but then again, I don't take any of it away because it made me the person I am today. I know it now. I'm glad that I know it, but I just, you know, that's what big reason why I do the work that I do is I don't want people to go about life that way because there's so much pain and it's so much is so unnecessary given the fact that of the inevitability of pain, you know, the inevitability of sorrow, the inevitability of failure, you know, these things are going to happen, but they're all for the betterment of you. A thing that a great friend of mine, Aaron Ellis says is let life happen for you not to you. Let mm-hmm. it happen for you. And I, when I went and did his coaching, that was something that just really stuck with me is I did not let life happen for me enough. I always, when stuff was happening bad, especially the real bad things, it's, it, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? God, why? You know, instead of just, what's the lesson? What can I get from this? How is this making you better? Even the way that you bring that up of, of when we recognize what is trying to happen for us at any given moment, it connects me also to, to one of my own teachers who has repeatedly said that we need to view pain as sacred, meaning mm-hmm. that even to recognize that the pain is still happening for us because it's beginning to show us that we're on a path that we're not meant to be on or that we're on a path that is meant to be transformed. And mm-hmm. so if we can recognize that every experience, including the pain that we go through is sacred. Now we can, we can relate to our experiences in a very, very different way, even when they are deeply troubling. We can find that little bit of light that exists in the darkness, as you said before, Reggie, and we can relate to that. We can find that. And I also think of it as when we say pain is sacred, I think of for men, how much we walk around. We want to choose love. We want to choose peace. We want to choose hope. We want to choose all these beautiful things. And what I also have gotten present to in my life is how to create space so that when I need to feel anger, I know the healthy way of letting rage out. How is it that I can allow myself the space to really, truly, deeply grieve and go into those places of sorrow? And so for us to recognize that even anger and rage can be treated in a sacred way, you don't take it out on others. You don't bring that out. You don't create, allow your hurt to cause somebody else's hurt. You find ways of working with it. And there are, going way back to the beginning of some of this conversation, Tom, there are now conversations about how can we do that? 
so that we can teach people how to be with these more intense emotions, but in a manner that allows the emotion to be felt, run its course, and go through us, as opposed to be felt, try to bottle it up, try to avoid it, try to distract, in which case we're walking around with it until it then pours over and boils over. In us. And that leads us to probably what's going to be the next episode is how do we deal with ego, right? This is huge. This is a huge part of us becoming who we've become is because we've learned how to manage our ego, right? Because ego is there. We know it's there now, but now I know it doesn't have to be what, what I was taught it was, right? Now I get to, I get to make sure I have ego under control. And that was a huge part of the transformation, if you will, over these last 14 years was understanding ego and understanding the importance and then the unimportance of ego. I did want to touch upon a little bit of the work that both of you are doing. And Tom, I, what I wanted to come back to, because it's, it's completely in line with what we've been speaking about, something that I know that you've done in your talks in the way that you approach working inside of the school systems is that you specifically were aware of the more fear-based, look out for this, look out for that kind of approach, as opposed to the a more self-empowered approach that you take. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that, because it, I think it points to how often we tend to have the lookout fear-based mentality, right. as opposed to, wait, here's all of this stuff that I completely have within me, that if I were to focus on, I don't need to pay attention to that. Yeah, I think that's maybe what speaks to the success of your power project is it because it, you know, the program is based on the children, the kids feeling like they're powerful people, that they have a powerful voice and that they can say no, even when this person's bigger than them or older than them, whatever it is, they still are the powerful people. Every single one of us were born to be powerful people, all of us. And it's only judgment and abuse that takes that power away from these individuals. And then they feel like they aren't, but they are. So I try and keep it the whole conversation for that 45 minutes, a half hour to 45 minutes is believing you're powerful people. So it's a belief. And that's why I'm not a big fan of spending too long on my story because that's, that creates fear. You know, having those things happen to me, scares people. So that's why I want to spend more time on, hey, you were born to be powerful people. You were born to live out your goals and dreams. You don't have to go through the hard stuff, even though it helps us along because we're learning from it, but you don't have to go through it. You can believe first and then it, it grows from there. So that's that's where I want it to be. I don't like scaring the kids. I do give out statistics every now and again, and that scares the kids. The approach is, hey, listen, you have dreams and goals. They were meant to come true. It takes you living your powerful life to do that. It's amazing when we, when we develop from that early age or any age, honestly, that recognition of the power that exists in every single one of us so that we begin to feel that. We begin to feel the presence of that type of energy that's within us. Then we're going to stand in conviction. We're going to stand with resoluteness. We're going to be more decisive in the way that we speak up for ourselves, the way we express ourselves. We're going to own who we are more emphatically because we now know the power is, is in us. It's not outside of us. So I, I love the emphasis on that. 
And Reggie, I just wanted to pause to also kind of bring you in because I know that you've done and have been doing such you know incredible work across many different facets, but also with collegiate athletes. And I was hoping you could just speak to you know whatever's coming up for you around what has been central to that work in helping these collegiate athletes get through what is usually an immensely stressful time for them. Listening is a huge thing. And really just making sure that they know that I'm available as an athlete, even when it came to my own parents, when you're going through this experience, so very few people understand how you really feel, how it actually is, because they've never personally done it themselves. They can study it. You can look at it in a book or look at it on TV, but you're never know, you're never going to understand the feelings that someone like this would have that are justified, someone like me that would have that are justified the background that I came from, why I'm doing this, why I find enjoyment out of this. You're never really going to understand. But the biggest thing that drives me to continue to keep doing what we're doing, because uh, we just got it into two more schools uh, two weeks ago. We were forming some great partnership with some great organizations. It's actually doing, doing pretty awesome. The one thing that I had that I feel saved me going through this experience, even going through all the abuse, was I had a system for solving problems. I came into an environment and I studied the environment first in the people where I had a way of going about things that ensured my success. And even though I'm from the hood and I, you know, I was also a military brat, so I'm from all different tiles, rural hood, 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 city hood, (laughs) nice areas, all this stuff. But I had a system that was taught to me by my father. He was, you know, Sergeant Walker. He had, he had to deal with people and, and overseeing people all day. And he taught me this system and he taught me how to understand environments. And that's what saved me, even though I was dealing with so many emotional problems. And I understand that a lot of kids who come from the same backgrounds as me, not necessarily military, but the hood or rural areas, or they might come from single family households, whatever, there's a system that can be taught. And I know that through my experiences, I knew I knew I had to be the one to do it. So that's why I sat down and wrote the course for three years and wrote the book. And now, and it actually has changed its name from the personal mastery school to the game within a game, because that's, you know, what we're playing in life, the game within a game of yourself. And the same things that we talk about today is the same things that I teach them, the bigger lessons of life, because football or sports in itself, it's just a tool, but you need to understand how to utilize this tool to get and create the life that you actually want to live and teaching them while they're young. So that's what I've been doing, and I think that's what's been brought up. With boy, you. boy, oh, boy, we need more Reggie Walkers in our life, man. Yeah. We really do, because that's really awesome that because, just as I said earlier, we live in an environment where we don't have a lot of Reggie Walkers, right? And now we're getting more and more Reggie Walkers where they're able to teach these young people things that aren't being taught at home, things that are now just beginning to be taught in schools. So the more we get to have these conversations with our young people, the better off we are. I truly believe that. Well, I can say the same thing for you, Tom. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we can use some more Reggie Walkers, some more Tom Cresses as well. I think the, the two things I just wanted to draw out of, Reggie, what you also said, because for us to recognize the games that are out there, meaning the games that are other people's games, for us to recognize the games that keep us playing small, but then for us to recognize the game within the game, the inner game that we get to construct, that create our rules, that create our ways of doing things so that we can empower ourselves to what, Tom, you brought up before, so that we know how do we take that power 
and use that in a way that helps us and supports us through the life we want to create. And then being able to evolve that game as we evolve as well. I think the other piece though that I just, I did not want to let go of because the simplicity of this is so freaking powerful. First thing that you said was I'm available. Yeah. I want everybody to just think of that. Just hold that for a second. When we are going through, or you've seen a friend or a family member go through whatever they're going through, one of the most incredible things that you can do for them is to be available with your presence. That's that you say it's simplistic, but it's not easy, right? It's not it easy. The idea Simplic- is simple, for sure. Simple, but not simplistic. Yeah, right. It's right. Because, you know, someone sheds a tear. And if you haven't gotten through your background of being able yes. to be with someone who's shedding a tear, then it's going to be an awkward situation, right? So, so it's really a part of you learning how to be in that situation, right? Yeah. Reggie's done it. I've done it. You've done it, Luke. So, and that's, I think if we continue to have these conversations, we can help others learn how to be present and listening and available for the people who really need us. And that's why we go on this walk. <laughs> Gentlemen, I want to absolutely thank you for being here for the conversation, for the wisdom, the presence, the questions, all of it. You guys are you know, just wonderful you know, human beings. You are beautiful souls. And I thank you for sharing that with the audience today. And for both of you, I just am hugely grateful for the work that you guys are doing in the world because it is, it's needed on behalf of men and it is needed inside of the youth that each of you are working with. You guys are making a real difference, a real level, and that's changing things. And I thank you for it. And I thank you guys for being here. Luke, thank you. The blessing is mine. The honor is mine to meet you, Reggie, and to share a lot of the commonalities Thank you for your words of wisdom and for what you do. And Luke, I love you, man. You're awesome. Yes, thank you both. Tom, it's been a blessing meeting you for the first time. And let me know in the future how I can help you out in any way, shape, or form. Just let me know. And Luke, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You got it. Thank you for joining me for this episode of On This Walk. Before signing off, please subscribe to the show and don't miss a single episode. Also, please rate and review us. This helps me greatly in getting the word out about this show. And remember, this is just the start of our conversation. To keep it going, ask questions, add your own thoughts. Join the ongoing conversation by just heading over to onthiswalk.com and click on community in the upper right-hand corner. It's free to join. Until we go on this walk again, I'm Luke Iorio. Be well.